This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show. And today I'm joined with Jerry Taylor, who is a TikTok lawyer. He's got over half a million followers on TikTok and that's how he's built his business today. Jerry, thanks so much for taking the time and being a guest on the show. Sure thing. Thank you, Michael, for having me. I appreciate that. So lawyer and TikTok may seem like polar opposites to a couple of the people listening. It's a very young demographic at first pass, and you're a lawyer that essentially runs your practice using TikTok as one of your main marketing and content platforms. So why did you choose TikTok as the way to go? You know, I um, I had been doing some other social media, did a little bit of Facebook, um, and I know a lawyer on the West Coast of the U.S. here who had done some TikTok videos and had, you know, pretty good success with it. I never even thought about it before. It was just, so just on a lark about, uh, let's see, this is 2022. So it was the beginning of this year, beginning of January of 2022. I decided, well, you know, I'll just give it a shot. I'll do a few videos. And I did probably five or six and got a few hundred views, something like that. And then about 10 days after I started, I did a video and it exploded, went to 6 million views. And um, of course, I started getting contacts from people all over the world after that happened. And um, about a week later, so I continued doing it. About a week later, another one hit, went to three or four million views. And I've had, you know, many like that since that time. Um, so it just really came up out of the blue. I mean, I just, I was as surprised as anyone else. <laughs> I I picture it being quite a, a weird thing because there's a couple of other guests that I've had on the show where it literally takes one video or one piece of content that can change everything and they actually tell a story of they unfortunately left notifications on on TikTok and they couldn't sleep or their phone went out of battery even though it was left on charge overnight kind of thing just because it wouldn't stop going off wouldn't stop vibrating or making the tune or whatever it was is that mm -hmm. something that happened to you as well is that something that you've seen multiple times whereby it is just that one video that can make all the difference oh yeah i mean i've i think right now i've got around six hundred and fifty thousand followers and that's probably you know the bulk of that has come from seven or eight videos that went viral, um, you know, with one video that does has 6 million views, you can easily get 80, 90, a hundred thousand followers from that one video alone. So it happens pretty quickly once they start hitting, you know, and you may not have more than one that hits. I mean, it's just, it's, it's very, very unpredictable. I, I certainly haven't figured out the TikTok algorithm. I don't think anyone else has either, but um, it's, it's hard to say. And it's hard to say, you know, from one video to another, I think I've got a good video who's going to that's going to really get some response and it just flops, does nothing. <laughs> and then another one that, you know, I just, I put together just off the cuff and it goes crazy. Um, so it's, it's very difficult to predict. What do you think about the idea that searching to be, in air quotes, TikTok famous can actually be, a bad thing for people and it's causing the i guess worst versions of ourselves to come out online mm -hmm. well you know i think 
once you've had one that goes viral, then you start thinking to yourself, okay, what did I do in that one video that I can not only replicate, but I can emphasize and magnify and, you know, just uh, continue to do and make it better. And with what I do, um, there's not really that much wiggle room for that type of thing. Uh, but with the other influencers on TikTok, you know, I mean, it can it can result in who knows what. I mean, you know, if you get a video from that goes crazy from a good dance routine or just whatever, I mean, it'll take that one scintilla of success and cause you to try and figure out a way to magnify it any way you can. So do you dance, Jerry? I mean, I don't picture many lawyers being no, that no. great at dancing. What sort of things do you do? I don't dance. <laughs> My wife wishes that I I would dance, but I do not. Um, yeah, all I do on TikTok is, uh, literally hold up the phone and talk for a, you know, I generally try to make them less than a minute. Uh, TikTok has a, a very good, they have very good editing functions on the app. Um, so you can splice in, you know, and shorten and lengthen your, your takes, um, but literally, I just hold up the phone in front of my face and talk about, an, you know, an issue of uh, law that I'm dealing with. And that's it. Um, and surprisingly, there is a, you know, there's a big uh, market in there for uh, talking about the things that I do, which is, you know, I'm called in the U.S. an estate planning lawyer. Um, I call myself uh, a money lawyer, money protection lawyer. But essentially what I do is work with people to make sure that all their money and property gets passed on to their kids and their heirs uh, the way they want it to uh, without court intervention and, you know, with as low a taxes as, pro as possible here in the U.S. So, I mean, on the face of it, it's pretty boring. And you would think that that's a very older demogra demographic that's interested in that. Uh, I think my, you know, my, um, Followers are about 75% female, 25% male, um, and probably the bulk of my followers are in the 35 to 55 age range. Um, so TikTok is not just for, it's not, it's not just for teenagers and, you know, young twenties. <laughs> and, um, yeah. there's a huge number of, um, people out there watching it from all walks of life. I've heard people say that you help people prepare to die, I think. Is that you trying to change how you present things for the platform? I hear this a lot where things like trying to communicate things effectively, portray things in a way that fits the platform. Like TikTok is typically 15 seconds to a minute. Some people do even shorter ones. To get your message across in a short space of time must have taught practice and a way of trying to change how you word things to get a lot said with minimal word usage and time usage on, sure. on the app. Have you had to go through a bit of a, a journey with that? Yes. Um, you know, I mean, going into it, I had no idea about anything. I was completely unfamiliar with what would work, what wouldn't work. Um, as I began to gain some success, then I began, I began to think about the components of a successful video. You know, what are they for me, for what I do? Because for other people, it's completely different. Uh, but certainly you've got to have something that draws in the viewer 
immediately. Um, if you don't have something that clicks in their mind right off the bat, then they're just going to keep scrolling. I mean, you've been on TikTok. It's just you're just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. So you got to have some way to bring them in. Uh, I'm not dancing. I'm not waving my hands and yelling and things like that. So it's got to be something that I say. Um, and then you think about, okay, um, what's an overall type of successful video that I could do? And people are drawn to, you know, little um, capsules of information that they can store away and, you know, perhaps use at a later date. That's, I think that's a big part of what I do. So, yeah. you know, a lot of videos like, you know, what are the five best ways to do this? Um, you know, how do you accomplish this particular task and all within one minute? Uh, I had one recently that went viral. I think it's up to 6.2 million views where I talked about, and this was a trend on TikTok, actually, five things I would never do as a money protection lawyer, you know, and there was all the uh, uh, influencers who were talking about, well, certainly the professional influencers, that was sort of a trend within, you know, that that subsection of, of people, five things you would never do as whatever. So I did one of those and people liked it. I get the impression that it probably took a bit of convincing for you to start using TikTok. Did somebody get you onto the app? Did you, because if you only ever used Facebook, TikTok is a very different beast. So did you take any convincing? You know, um, I convinced myself, really. I just saw I saw that other lawyer that was getting some success, some following from TikTok. And um, uh, really, the convincing, you know, part was getting on social media at all in the beginning, you know, just starting to do videos. You know, typically here in the U.S. and I think in the U.K. as well, um, a lawyer most lawyers are not drawn to, you know, putting their faces out in public. I mean, certainly here in the U.S., personal injury lawyers are all over the place. They're on billboards. Uh, they're on TV. But most every other kind of lawyer, I'd say 90 percent of the other types of lawyers, you know, are not the kind who would be out there uh, hawking their services from the, uh, you know, from the, the street corner. So just getting on social media at all was a leap. Um, then once I made that decision then you know, I started looking at the other types of social media and what else can I do? Because, um, it's a great way of reaching people. And quite frankly, with what I do, people just, most people don't understand it other than just, you know, I need a will or they've heard about a will. Um, they don't understand. They certainly don't understand what a trust is. And there's a lot of similarities in the U S and UK law. I mean, we got it all from y'all. So, um, they, they have no idea what a trust is, what it can do for them. They think it's only for, you know, people with millions and millions and millions of dollars and huge estates and castles and things like that to pass on. Um, and when, when realistically, uh, those are not the primary people that are being reached, you know, that need a trust today. So uh, it was, it was very surprising, very surprising. Once I got on there though, you know, um, the response was so good that, I knew I had to keep it up. Was there anything that you tried on TikTok when you were turning the camera around and talking to it that you thought would work but didn't? And 
are there anything that you didn't think would work but did work mm-hmm. well um you know i found out that people don't really want you to get into the weeds on issues um like for instance youtube is a completely different animal right than tiktok completely different you got a completely different audience watching youtube videos than you do watching tiktok videos for the most part um on youtube you know you can make a 20 30 minute video uh, get into all the technicalities of the law and there are people that will just flock to that um and they they you know they they're really drawn to getting into the depths on whatever the issue is and it's absolutely the other way around on tiktok People don't want to get into the weeds. They want the high points. Um, they want that takeaway. You know, what's the takeaway I can get from this in a minute or less that, I, you know, will perhaps be useful to me down the road. And um, so that was it, it took a while to figure that out. Um, you know, in the beginning, I was doing three minute videos uh, and then I just began to I kept shortening them. And now I do nothing longer than a minute because I can take that video and then repurpose it onto, um, you know, Facebook reels onto, um, Instagram, uh, no Instagram reels. Yeah. Facebook reels too. I guess they both call them reels. Um, and also on you now YouTube has shorts that are a minute or less. So I just repurpose that on all of those different platforms. Um, but the most success with doing that is definitely that I found is definitely on TikTok. What are your thoughts on things like short quality content impacting someone's expectation, I guess, of long form, like video, short video, they sit and think, well, hot points, hot takes, quick snippets. Does that make people think the long form would go down in quality in a way or would go deeper or explain something? How do you think about those two things? Well, you know, I think it's just you've got a different um, you've got a different market on TikTok than on some of the other platforms. Uh, and the, the main one I think of is, is YouTube, um, you know, whereas on uh, with YouTube, the value goes up really the more in depth you get with your video on TikTok. People watching TikTok, whether it's by nature or just that's the, the mindset they come into TikTok with, they don't have that much attention span. You know, they're not on that app for that type of an experience. They're on TikTok for the rapid quick fire experience. Whereas people on YouTube, you know, uh, it, it draws in more of a user that is um, willing to sit there and you know, spend the time uh, watching a video, um, stopping it, rewinding it, watching it again, um, that type of thing. So I think whether it's whether it's the type of, you know, the individual themselves that are different or they're just the mindset coming into that app, you know, or people using they'll use TikTok during a time of day when they just don't have much time to spend on social media. So they'll scroll, scroll, scroll and then get off. Whereas YouTube, you know, they may use that platform at a time of day when they've got more time to sit there and spend and, abs and absorb the information. So it's very interesting. It's very interesting. You know, it's, um, 
but you have to figure it out. If you want any success, you've got to figure it out. I just want to echo the value equals depth point that you made with long form. Like if you keep repeating the same, I guess, shallow-ish point that you're making for over 10 minutes, 20 minutes, people will just turn it off after the 30 seconds, 40 seconds that you made your point and then we can kind of move on. I like how you pinpoint depth of the content in mm-hmm. relation to the value i think that's quite important and another thing that you brought up was attention spans and i wonder what your take is on that given your background given probably how you became a lawyer it was through concentration long-term focus that sort of thing do you think attention span is actually dwindling do you see it impacting your content maybe even your profession perhaps if it bleeds into that What's your take on attention span? I think it, you know, it's easy to say everyone's attention span is dwindling. You know, society is uh, not as willing to spend time to learn something. They want the quick hit, the rapid fire type of thing. But, I, you know, and I'm certain there is a, um, a fair percentage of the population out there that fall into that category. And whether it be through growing up with video games or, you know, whatever, um, there are more of those type of people in the market than we had, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Certainly that's, that's my feeling. Um, but at the same time, I think it, ha- I think a lot of it has to do with, um, how much time does the user have, you know, during the day that they're willing to spend on this app? Um, you know, if you've got somebody on their lunch break, 30 minute lunch break is not apt to sit there and watch a 20 minute YouTube video. Whereas they can scroll on TikTok for five minutes, get their, their, uh, you know, social media consumption and be satisfied with it. Uh, and maybe later in the day, you know, go to um, YouTube and spend more time with something. So I think it's both. Um, I'm, I'm not ready to give up on society's attention span yet. Um, I mean, I certainly think there's, you know, there's, that's definitely more of an issue than it used to be. But one of the interesting things that I'm looking at now is, you know, how do you get people from an app like TikTok, a platform like TikTok and transfer them over to YouTube? So you, you know, you would plant the seed on an app like TikTok, uh, perhaps just the seed of an, you know, an issue or a subject or, or yourself as an influencer how do you transfer those people over to a platform like YouTube where they can go to get more in-depth content? Um, you know, as I spend more time in social media, that's the type of thing I'm thinking about. Volume and time was the thing that I was thinking of while you were explaining it, which then makes me think, well, if attention span is how it shows up, i.e. value in time more makes people think okay well if i've only got 20 minutes would i want to watch 500 videos or one video it makes me think maybe people are simply just valuing their time more and we would have to do a better job of creating content to be able to keep them engaged and keep them interested Mm -hmm. yeah there are challenges with both types of platforms Big challenges. I mean, on 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 um, on TikTok, 
it's rapid fire. You can piece together little pieces of content uh, with their um, their editing apps. So, you know, I can literally just off the cuff think of an idea, and two minutes later I can have it done on TikTok, or ten minutes later I can have it done on TikTok. Whereas if I'm going to do something on YouTube, other than a YouTube short, you know, if I want to really get in depth with an issue on YouTube, uh, get in, get more into the weeds with something with a legal issue, you know, I have to think it through more. It's going to take more preparation in addition to, you know, just the time to uh, record it. And with YouTube, you know, there's not as much editing going on with those videos. It's just a constant play. Um, so you've got to be a little more uh, thoughtful about how you're going to make that presentation. Um, that really doesn't exist with TikTok, not with what I do. Now, you know, with the dancers and people doing that type of thing, they have to practice that to get it right for that one take. Uh, but with what I do, you know, I could literally create a TikTok right here, um, you know, just come up with an idea and create it and I, it would be up in five minutes. Uh, and it might do fantastically, you know, it's just, you can't tell. <laughs> no, I think that that's something that I found as well. Like the random things that I would do, silly stuff sometimes, tends to do better than the things that I sit and plan out. Like there's an mm -hmm. element of the more work I can spend on it actually doesn't really equate to it doing very well. And by yep. very well, I mean things like not just views, but likes or comments or clicking a, a link that I have for people to check out more information about something or whatever the case is. I don't just see views as being helpful because you can't necessarily control how many people see it. But mm -hmm. if it's compelling and there's a call to action on there, everyone that sees it could continue the engagement interaction with me that sort of thing so i don't typically look at just views alone as a way of something doing well i'm coming at it though from i've got a history in marketing that sort of thing i understand a lot of different industries thanks to this podcast not everyone does and someone would see views as doing well or not doing well as someone that creates content, you run a business, a practice as well. How do you see a valuable piece of content or video versus something that isn't helpful or isn't successful? How do you think about it? Well, initially, you know, like everyone else, I just looked at the views. Is it getting a lot of views? Is it getting low numbers of views? And I judged all my success on that basis. Then I got more into the analytics. Um which are very helpful and you can really determine more um, of what it takes to have a successful video. You know, you've got people that watch your video for a longer length of time. Um, you look at who it is, the demographic, their age, that type of thing. Um, you know, but for me at this point, I want my account to continue to grow. So I really focus on, how many followers did this video bring in versus, um, you know, I'm, I might have one that did had 500,000 views and brought in 500 viewers. I'll have another one that had 500,000 views and, you know, it brought in 7,000 viewers. 
So just on the face of it, they look equivalent. You know, they look equally successful. Uh, and if views is all you're interested in, then I suppose you could say they were equally successful. But if you're looking at it, you know, from a deeper standpoint, and particularly, you know, me at this point, I'm looking at how many new followers did it bring on? That's more important to me than views. Um, and to other people, you know, that um, are really trying to monetize their account, then, you know, response, uh, how, mu how much response am I getting from this video? That that would be their, their benchmark, of, benchmark of success. But thus far, I haven't, you know, done anything really to monetize the account. So, I'm just trying to grow, you know, grow my followers right now. And um, I've got a goal, you know, within uh, the next six months, 10 months to get to a million followers. So um, we'll see what happens. That's what that's what kind of drives me on a daily basis. In addition to, you know, it's really unbelievable to me how helpful what the things I say are to some people out there. It's, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm constantly amazed at the response that I get from people, um, you know, and with what I do, I mean, um, I'm only licensed to practice law in Alabama, you know, some surrounding states, Mississippi, Florida. So I don't know the law um, totally on estate planning and the, you know, money issues outside of my practice area. So I have to, um, you know, preface a lot of what I do with, uh, you need to see a lawyer in your area to make sure what I'm telling you is correct. It sounds, um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but people still are just drawn in uh, by the issue itself. And, you know, I mean, it's, um, um, people are all, always drawn in by stories. And with what I do, there are a lot of stories, family stories, and people like to tell those, like to hear those. Um so it varies. I mean, it's just um, uh, the response is really, it's still amazing to me. Are there any crazy stories that have done really well for you? Like any in particular that stand out? Well, um, you know, I've told some of the stories about uh, just things I've been through in my practice down through the years. I've been practicing, you know, 30 years or so. Um, and I didn't always do this type of law. Um, I, I was a trial lawyer, you know, a courtroom lawyer for a long time, tried a lot of cases. Uh, so, you know, like I had a video that talked about an experience I had taking the deposition of a drug smuggler and meeting the guy, you know, at a small uh, airstrip in the middle of nowhere. And he flies in and, um, you know, with all these bodyguards and um it's it's a long story but anyway that type of thing did really well um i told a story about um uh having a case where um the guy that uh, the guy had a bicycle accident and he was suing my client because my client put the bicycle together well come to find out that when he went for you know to get medical care for his injury the hospital, the doctors in the hospital took out the wrong disc in his spine and never told him. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was the first one to find it out. I mean, literally, oh I went, you know, I was the first one to uncover it. Let's put it that way. And uh, so, I, you know, I, I told the guy, I basically told the guy during his deposition, 
did you know, did you know that the wrong disc was taken out and then they had to go in and take the right one out? And no, I didn't. They never told me that, you know? Uh, so Crazy. that one, that one did well in terms of a story. Um, you, you know, you just never know. I've, I've done other stories and they have not done as well. Um, it is, it is, it's, it's so interesting, the algorithm and what clicks and what doesn't click, you know, and I know you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's just, you can't predict it. I mean, just as soon as you think you've got the formula down, it changes. So you've and, had your like breaking bad moment and then you've had to inform someone that they've had the wrong disc taken out. You're like experience must have been quite crazy because I've actually watched the, the Breaking Bad series as well. So it's like uh, Saul Goodman, I think, if, if I'm correct in saying that. He's yeah. the, uh, the lawyer in Breaking Bad. It's almost like you're the next version of him. Yeah, in some ways, yes. Um, I'd like to think that I, I follow the rules a little more than Saul. But, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, some of the experiences he went through certainly resonated with me. Uh, and I've had, you know, I've, I've dealt with the fringes of some of the things that he dealt with. Um, you never know what you're going to get into as a lawyer. It's just, you know, something new every day. How would you handle someone like Walter White then? Like someone that got involved with it very high up in the the cooking scene, I think, for want of a better expression. How would you mm -hmm. handle something like that? Um. I can't say that I've ever been presented with that type of a situation, not to the magnitude of Walter White. Um, you know, it's in all walks of life, it's the money that lures people in. It's the money that lures people in uh, into things that they never would have gotten into before. So it really comes down to, you know, it, it, <laughs> it gets down to, you know, your own feelings about morals and what's wrong and what's right. Um, and I have had situations where, you know, the money that I was, the clients were paying me, I felt pretty certain was not legally gotten, but it was cash. Um, I had no real way to know, you know, I mean, my suspicion may have been wrong. Um, the person certainly had not committed any crimes that I knew of, um, but I had my suspicions, you know. And I have done those things on a few occasions. Um, on other occasions, I've had people approach me that I just said, you know, there's no way I'm getting involved with this person, period. It doesn't matter how much money they've, they're willing to pay me. Um, uh, it, it, it's likely not to end well. But yeah, as a lawyer, those kind of opportunities, opportunity situations can, you know, they, they come along. I mean, surprisingly, they, they, they come along. What will go down as some of the more popular things that you found? Because law can come across as a bit, I don't want to say mundane, but it's something that's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of red tape, technicalities, nuances, those kinds of things. And yet people are interested. People want to hear how to do particular things. Is there anything that's particularly popular maybe something that's more um i guess you could say pressing for people to to mm -hmm. learn how to do it is there anything that stands out well um you know 
the thing that everybody's heard about is a will. So anytime you start talking about wills, you get a lot of people that are paying attention because everybody knows they need a will. But here in the U.S., 70% of the population does not have a will, has nothing. You know, they will die with no type of estate plan whatsoever. And um, so the law of whatever state you're in will determine how your assets are split up if you have nothing. Uh, but people have heard about wills. So when you start talking about wills, people are interested in that. When you're talking about will, you know, members of a family challenging a will, um, you know, because they feel like they weren't dealt with fairly, um, then people are very interested in those types of situations. Uh, they want to know how to avoid that. Uh, and just, you know, from an overall basis, they want to know how to avoid the family conflict, um, you know, that could uh, rise up out of, you know, a mom, mom or dad's death, particularly if there's a lot of money on the line. Um, you know, I tell my clients all the time, you never know really who your kids are until you put them in a room, shut the light off and throw a million dollars in the door and, you know, close it. Uh, then you find out who your kids are, really. Um, so people are very interested in how to avoid family conflict, you know, and what will be, what will lighten the load on my heirs, my kids after I'm gone in terms of, you know, uh, resolving and distributing my estate. What's the easiest way to get that done? And here in the U.S., um, you know, if you've got a will, you have to go to court with it. That's the only way that will can be enforceable um, is to take it to court and go through what's called the probate process. And that takes a long time. It's expensive. Um, and some, a lot of people think that if you have a will, you can avoid that. But that's not the, that's not the case here in the U.S., you know, if you have a will, you're going to court if you want to make that will enforceable. So, and a trust gets around that. You don't have to go to court with a trust and people are not, are not aware of that. So they're very interested in, again, how can I make it easier on my family? You know, with a trust, everything's done in private. Um, whereas down at the, with a will, everything's in, done in public at the courthouse. Um, so those are the you know, some of the really core issues that people are concerned about. And the reason they find this subject interesting is that they want to minimize or, you know, as much as possible, any potential for for family conflict, because, you know, I'm sure you've seen it just like I had my, Michael money um, causes people to do strange things. Very strange things. Yeah, it does. Definitely. You know, people who you think were this type of person and would react in this way when there's a lot of money at stake, you can't predict how people are going to react. Uh, so any way that you can um, minimize that potential for conflict, people are very interested in. I think it's, it's so hard for people to grasp. And then in America, I'm guessing it's, it's different from state to state and things like that is there any reliable source for people to go because i'm aware that if you tell someone to do something typically that may differ from area area which part of the world that they're living in is there anywhere where they can get something more definitive for them 
Yes and no. Um, just in terms of getting the information, you know, you can find it online. You can find just about anything online, obviously. So just in terms of getting the information about their particular state, if they dug deep enough and asked the right questions, Google the right words, you know, they could come upon the right information for them. Then they have to interpret it. Um, and that's the danger with, and a lot of people do, you know, write their own will. A lot of people will just write their own will. Uh, some people will try to write their own trust. And the chances of those things actually working in the end, you know, are very small. <laughs> um, the information's out there. It's just being able to analyze it and, you know, put it into action in a way that will actually comply with the law um, when it needs to. That's that that's the difficulty. Now, there are, you know, several organizations where you can in the U.S. online where you can go on and try to do this yourself. You know, so you go online, um, you know, for instance. Jeez, uh, um, I can't think of the organizations right now, but there's several. Um, you input, you know, basic information about your family, where you are, and um, answer their, you know, their questions. And they will basically direct you to, you know, you need a trust, you need a will, uh, and they'll give you documentation that theoretically complies with your state laws. Um, so there are ways for people, you know, that just, want to find out more and even do it themselves. There are ways for people to do it. I always tell folks, you know, my recommendation is go to a lawyer. First, my first recommendation is find a good lawyer and go to that lawyer and use that lawyer for this type of work. But there's plenty of people out there who will never, ever go to a lawyer for a myriad of reasons. You know, they hate lawyers. Uh, they can't afford lawyers. They're scared of lawyers, intimidated by lawyers. Um, so there's a huge percent of the percentage of the population, at least here in the U.S., that will never, ever set foot in the lawyer's office. So I tell them, if you're one of those people, then go online and do the best you can with an online system. Because it's better, you know, uh, most of the time to have something rather than nothing. So... <laughs> That's, you know, that's that's generally where I, my feelings fall about that. Have you ever had anyone come to you with nothing and they've tried to make something out of it? Have you had anyone come to you like that? You mean just in terms of a case, trying to create a case? Yeah, well, maybe people that are trying to have their will happen mentally, you know, like, like their will be done, so to speak. And they don't have anything to back it up, no paperwork, nothing signed, and you're, you're trying to make the best of it? Yeah. Um, people who feel like, you know, I mentioned earlier, like kids who feel like they weren't treated fairly in a will. Uh, I've had plenty of those types of individuals come to me and say, you know, this wasn't right. I did this and this, you know, for mom or dad spent this much time with them, did all this work for them. Uh, and now I'm, I've been given nothing or very little or not as much as I think I should be receiving uh, in their plan, in their will or in their trust. Um, and, you know, they may have valid um, 
reasons based on their history with their parents, but it all comes down to the documentation. You know, it all comes down to what's been, what's been expressed in written language and um, validated, you know, by signature and notarization or by the court. Um, that's where the rubber meets the road. It's, it's, it's not what you think you deserve. It's what is in the documents. What did your, what did your mom or dad or whoever it is, what did they express through the written word, how they want to, um, um, you know, treat you in their, in their final plans. And there's, there's not a lot of wiggle room. Uh, if you can, you know, you have the situations where a kid comes in and says, you know, my brother moved in with my mom uh, two years ago. She had a will which split everything equally between us. My brother moved in with her. She got dementia and he convinced her to make a new will and completely cut me out of the estate. Um, well, that may have happened, but unless you can prove that, you know, there was, um, uh, you know, that he improperly influenced her or that she didn't have the capacity to know what she was doing at the time. And those things are difficult to prove. Uh, unless you can prove those things, then what's in the written word is going to control. Uh, but yeah, I, I, those people come to me all the time. I suppose it's hard to take them at their word just because they approach you with, this is what's happened without any proof. It might not have happened, might it? It might be just them trying to make up a story to get you to do something legally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And whether or not I believe what they say is true, it, unless I can prove it in court, according to the guidelines of the United, you know, the U S courts, um, then we, there's nothing I can do, nothing any lawyer can do. You can, you know, you could go into court and yell and scream all day long. And often people thinks that think that that is what uh, wins the day for a case. If they've got a lawyer that's loud enough and, um, you know, screams enough that they'll win, but it comes down to what's the proof. What's the proof, you know, and there's certain kinds of proof that are admissible and there's other kinds of proof that are not. So and certain kinds of proof are more trustworthy than, you know, than than others. So what proof do you have? What kind of proof is it? Am I going to be able to get it into court? Um, because if I can't do that, it doesn't matter what you're saying to me, whether it's true or false. Um, there's there, there's no way we could ever prevail. Is there a particular a hierarchy that you'd be prepared to share? Obviously, the, the written word is something that you mentioned, but is there anything that if they can't get written word, maybe they can search for something else? Is there is some kind of hierarchy there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, certainly things like government documents, uh, information that is taken from a government database are presumed to be accurate unless shown otherwise. Um, and then you look at, uh, you know, documents from perhaps a bank or um, some other type of financial institution, a brokerage, things of that, things like that. And once you've established that those documents were created appropriately, you know, they were printed out or, you know, the data was stored appropriately and that, you know, the, the document you're looking at was created appropriately 
once you've established those basic things, then that's pretty convincing evidence. Doesn't mean that you can't say that somebody else can't come in and say, that's not right and I'll prove it. You know, they can, but just on the face of stuff like that, that's pretty convincing evidence. And then beyond that, you look at, you know, in the stuff that I do, you look at what has, you know, if it's mom or dad that's passed away, what did they write? You know, what did they, did they have a handwritten will that was not witnessed by anyone? That's not all that convincing. If they have a handwritten will that was witnessed by two people, then that, you know, it, it rises, it causes the validity of that document to rise up higher. If they have a handwritten will that was not only witnessed by two people, but also uh, notarized by a notary. I don't know if that's the word for it in uh, the UK, but if a notary has said, you know, I checked these people IDs and they are who they say they are. And I saw them sign and, you know, I hereby authorize that they signed it on this day. That's very convincing evidence. Um, so, yeah, there's and but if you put somebody on the stand and they say, mom told me this, um, that's not even going to come into evidence. That's called hearsay. Um, I think the UK has the same thing. Um, unless, you know, other things are, unless you meet other standards that just, just testimony. Um, uh, and often it comes down to, you know, it does the person look trustworthy? Um, you know, Jerry can look at it and go, do I believe what they say based on other things they've said? Um, do I believe what they say based on what other people say about them? Um, so there's, there's all different levels of validity and trustworthiness that goes along with various pieces of proof. Um, but that's, you know, that's the job of a lawyer. That's the, that's the stuff we deal with all the time. <laughs> it makes me think actually, as a lawyer that uses social media probably more often now than you have done before, what is your take on legal grounds using social media? And I mean things like giving advice that doesn't help people or making claims that aren't true. And what's your take on things like that? Because it happens a lot. I imagine it happening more now than what it used to. And my history is with the sports industry, health and fitness industry. And unfortunately, we're probably some of the worst for making claims that are not remotely true. They're very, very inflated. Is there anything that people can do about it? can we do anything about it? Is there anything that you would suggest? There's not a lot you can do about it. Uh, I mean, you know, <laughs> it comes down to, you know, using your own common sense. Um, and, but, you know, they're inevitably, in, inevitably going to be a large part of the population out there that will believe what I'm saying, for instance, just because they see me on a screen, you know, that guy must know what he's talking about. They'll believe it just because they, they see me and hear me. Yeah. You know, and then other people who, well, I, I'm not going to believe this guy just because he says this one time. So they watch me over and over and over. And then based on the body of, you know, uh, work, that I've done in, you know, in social media, then they'll believe me because they've got a better sense of who I am, um, you know, and whether or not what I'm saying is valid. That's just the way, you know, and that's, that's the way we 
as human beings judge people in everyday life. But I think the, uh, you know, presenting things on a screen, whether it be social media or, you know, TV or whatever it is, it adds a level of uh, trustworthiness oftentimes that is not uh, justified. Um, so how do people do that? <laughs> I mean, once it gets to court, then you, you know, you've got a whole different set of parameters and uh, standards that have to be met for, uh, you know, for things like that to be believed and to be deemed by the court trustworthy and valid. But just in everyday life, I mean, you can, you look at other sources to check what they're, you know, what somebody is saying to see if it, if it's consistent. Um, and that's really the only way to do that type of thing. I mean, you know, I, uh, on my TikTok account, I say that um, nothing I'm telling you is legal advice. You know, that's, that's on my biographical page. I'm not giving out legal advice. I'm only giving you information about these subjects that you can take and, you know, use as you will, but it's not legal advice. And I have no legal uh, relationship with you. Uh, it's just information. It's just information. And primarily what I do, you know, what I hope that I do is get people interested enough, you know, tweak enough interest in a person that they will dig deeper. And eventually they will go see an actual lawyer where they live, uh, you know, to handle whatever matter they're, they're concerned about. So, um, I think there's a lot of validity for that um, because the things that I talk about are things that people would not, a huge percent of the population would not otherwise hear about. Um, but from hearing me, hopefully they begin to dig deeper, think more about it, talk to people, and eventually end up with a professional who can help them in their, you know, in their area. I imagine with things like editing, and you mentioned hearsay, there's bound to be a loophole there that people are able to exploit or take advantage of. I think a combination of that and someone's ability to edit, whether it be Photoshop or different texts or take screenshots or whatever it happens to be, it can make it even harder for people to even do the whole look at the entire body of their content, their work, where they show up, what their credentials are. It's making it so difficult for people to even do that. Yeah, there, there's no doubt. I mean, you know, the thing that I've noticed recently is uh, this, um, um, these, you know, the ability in editing to actually make someone, you know, put someone's face on another person so that the, what that other person is saying appears to be coming from someone else. That's a huge issue right now. Yeah, it is. Um, and I don't know any way that you can, you know, effectively deal with that other than, looking at the other things that particular person has said to see if they're consistent, you know, see if their actions and um, their language and, uh, you know, just uh, as a whole is consistent with the other things that they've done in life or, you know, are saying in life. But that's, that's very problematic. You know, it is for me because you'll look at somebody and say, what in the world, you know, that doesn't sound like them. I'm surprised they're saying that, um, you know, in public or on social media or whatever. So that's a huge issue right now. Uh, all the AI um, 
the ability to use and um, merge and um, information and data. And um, it's, I don't know, it's, it's mind boggling. That's not my area. So I struggle with it just as much as everybody else does. I suppose as well, it causes people to not take action. Like if you've got to put in so much work to research someone, figure out if it's true, figure out if it's valid, provable, all those things before you'll sit there and go, okay, I'll, I'll do this thing. I'll accept that what he's saying is, is the truest thing that I've found. And I accept that it's right and it's realistic and all of that kind of self-talk that i'm sure people are going through before they do anything it's no surprise that people are overwhelmed or procrastinating or they're not taking action in a way that they otherwise would it's getting harder for people to actually trust each other Mm -hmm. no doubt yeah um and i think you hit the nail on the head there it's it's causing um you know and there, there can be good and bad to this i mean you've got people out there that trust whatever they hear you know um, if it's in the newspaper, you know, if they still read a newspaper, if it's in print, then it must be true. There are people out there that, you know, that fall in that category. Um, on the other hand, um, with this topic that we're talking about, yeah, it's causing people to, uh, the level of trust, trust that they normally have in fellow human beings has gone way down because they can't verify. It's so difficult to verify. It's getting harder and harder and harder to verify anything. Um, I mean, heck, you know, there's plenty of people out there now that just spout lies all day long. And just the fact that they're saying it and they keep saying it over and over and over, people believe it. Um, And uh, you know, so some people are just drawn into that and then others just, you know, they don't trust anybody now and they never will. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a conundrum. It's a conundrum, Michael. It kind of comes back to the, if you say a lie often enough, people will start believing it, which means the more people say lies more often for longer, things suddenly become true, which is weird. And then off the top of my head, it's making me think, well, people will start to trust more traditional establishments versus more newer, more recently established entities or organizations simply because they've been around longer, which just just adds to the validity of their potential lies and things. It's almost like if you trust traditional things more simply because they've been around for longer, if they've been telling lies and not being truly valid in what they've been claiming all this time as well you're just constantly perpetuating this cycle yep yep and i think that's where we are as a society uh worldwide um it's gotten hard you know those institutions that we used to think uh were solid and if it came from that institution regardless of what it was you could put your faith and trust into it um and certainly there are still institutions out there that uh, would meet that standard, but there's plenty that don't. And maybe they've never met the standard. It's just that we're just now finding out about it. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it could be that we've been misled, you know, our entire lives by these institutions or, you know, sources or whatever. Uh, but that just now, because of the internet and you know the transference of information so quickly these days, that um, it's easier to catch people 
in a mistruth, in a lie like that. And, you know, once that happens, you know, your whole, your whole, your whole framework structure of, um, you know, trust that you've grown up with is uh, sort of whittled away and destroyed. Yeah, it's becoming harder, which I guess as as your job, it's handy to stick to things like being countersigned and government documents and all of those other things, probably linking things like the date that it was updated as well. Something that was updated last year or something that was updated last month that will probably add more validity the more recent it is as well, which I guess adds pressure on establishments to keep things regularly updated or at least check it over often so that you can yep. add an extra layer to it, which I doubt they do, to be perfectly frank, Jerry. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think you're right. You know, with court, with the U.S. judicial system, the best they can do or what they've tried to do down throughout history is to create objective standards. So if you meet these objective standards for evidence, you know, proof um, for proving your case, then uh, it will be allowed in court for either a jury or a judge then to consider. Um, so, but that doesn't mean that what you've done or, you know, the story you presented, the proof you've presented, it doesn't mean that it's totally valid. It doesn't mean that you're actually presenting what happened or the truth to the court. That's not what it means at all. It means that you've met those objective standards. So if you can meet those standards with something that's not true, you know, it doesn't matter. It's still coming <laughs> yeah. in. It's yeah, still coming I, in. I, I so, guess, I guess um, you can fudge that as well. You can get someone to sign it to add the, the extra layer to it, even though they might not have witnessed it or they might not have back to their claims, so to speak. Absolutely. Um, you know, and more times than not, that type of, that type of thing uh, ends up, you know, that type of evidence proof or whatever ends up crumbling uh, for maybe another reason. Um, but there's no doubt that what a jury hears in a case in a U.S. court has very little to do with what actually happened or the truth. It only means that, you know, you've been able to get that information into court in front of that jury. And that's what, that's the only thing they have to look at. So the objective standards are there to try and create an atmosphere uh, and levels of validity and trustworthiness. But, you know, what a jury hears is not, may not be actually what happened or anything close to what happened or anything close to the truth. It just means that what they're hearing met the objective standards. So I guess the I guess the overall message here, Jerry, is good luck. <laughs> yeah. Well, it all comes down to you know, uh, common, common sense plays a huge part in it. The ability to evaluate what you see and what you hear, and based on your life experience, make a determination of whether or not that is valid. That's a huge part of um, being a juror. And, uh, you know, you get people that can do that well and you get people that have no sense of what that is at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you know, it's, I think the system's pretty good, but it doesn't mean it's not without issues and problems. Definitely. I mean, 
a lot of the time when we hear a news report of some kind or a case that's come up in in court very often it's the system that folds in on itself if people aren't convinced of the result or the decision very often it's because of the evidence that the court comes to its conclusion but then i mean they're probably wrong right but these people that go the system's broken they've tried the wrong person that's guilty all that sort of thing normally there's still nothing they can necessarily do about it because they have to stick to these quality control of evidence that is still potentially you know manipulatable but it's still the highest form that that we have yeah yeah and it's you know our our systems between our countries are very similar in many ways uh, i said earlier we 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 get most of what we do here. We, we got it from the UK and, you know, we, we developed our, um, our way of doing it and the UK developed their way of doing it, but it's, it's all based on basically the same body of, you know, law, uh, going back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So yeah, it's, it's the best system that I know of, um, to be able to parse evidence and, information to get to the truth. That doesn't mean that it's it's not infallible. Everybody knows it's not infallible um, or that it is infallible, but um, it's the best thing we've come up with. Now, you know, I mean, courts are all, all constantly trying to fine tune it. So, you know, whatever standard is good today, whatever standard I meet today in terms of um, evidence proving an issue, uh, a year from now, it may be different. You know, the court courts may have added in another level of, um, um, you know, what they think will create validity or um, add substance to that piece of evidence. So uh, that's constantly changing. Um, and that's, you know, again, that's the job of the lawyers to keep up with that stuff and make sure that they, they know uh, the benchmarks that they have to get, they have to hit to be able to establish um, uh, authenticity and uh, trustworthiness. Um, but yeah, so you know, the basic system uh, has been around a long, long, long time, but it's still being fine-tuned um, every day by courts in this country and in the UK, hopefully to make it better. I hope you know. so too, Jerry. And it's been a fascinating conversation. I've learned a lot. I'm sure people listening have as well if people wanted to find out more about you where can they go to learn more so if you want to look at my tiktok channel it's just at jerry taylor law one word jerry taylor law it's jerry with a j at jerry taylor law my website is www.jerrytaylorlaw.com um, and those are the two primary sources i would direct people to right now um I answer questions from people all the time. You know, I, I do have a full-time law practice, so <laughs> I can't spend all my time on social media, but I try to answer as many questions and give people as much information as I can. So those would be good places to find me. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Those that are listening, feel free to subscribe, share the show, tell others, and also leave a review wherever you are listening in to your podcasts. Jerry, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. I appreciate you taking the time today and I look forward to keeping in touch.
Absolutely, Michael. I enjoyed it. Thank you. If you want to join a group of like-minded people that are all out to achieve their goals, their dreams, their aspirations, and they get the help and support from me and the other members, then my inner circle is for you. There's a link in the description for this episode to get two months free of the inner circle. So you set your membership up, you get two months free access. Hopefully I'll see you there and I look forward to helping you on your journey of achieving the life that you want.